How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today in studio by Molly Williams. Hello, Molly. Hello, Sarah. So good to see you. So good to see you, too. It's been too long. I've been traveling too much. You have been. And you've got a lot going on with the kids getting ready for college. I do. I do. Any day now, we'll hear whether or not Daphne, my 17-year-old twin daughter, got into Occidental uh, down in Los Angeles. And then every day, there seems to be news trickling in about John and his various BFA programs that he is applying to. Yeah. Well, whatever happens, it's going to be good. Yes. Yes. It's it's just very exciting. And then poor John, you know, gets a notification that he's got a message from a school and then he, you know, terror seizes (laughs) him. And then so he walks away from his friends and sometimes it's good news. Sometimes it's not not good news. So have uh, kids started getting letters? um, So then I'm like, do people even get letters anymore? But I guess they get notifications, you know, before Christmas, isn't it? Like, Uh, well, so Daphne will find out by December 15th and he'll... He's definitely finding out about, because this is for BFA programs, this is just an invitation to the next stage of auditions. He will not, there's a few schools that let kids know now for BFA programs, but by and large, I mean, like he got an invitation from Fordham Alvin Ailey to Mm -hmm. to, to go to the next step with the dance BFA and same with Carnegie Mellon and the musical theater BFA, which he was very thrilled about. Great. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. So, I was trying to deal with all of this from 2,000 miles away when I was in Austin, Texas. And his uh, concern, everything was due December 1st. And so he called me in an absolute panic on November 29th. And I could literally feel it causing stress in my back. Sure. And it was weird. I'm not a person who sees myself as as a person who feels stress like mm-hmm. manifesting in my body oh no i've changed my opinion on that one mm-hmm. <laughs> but i got to swim in molly heaven well i saw the picture it looked like a, a skanky pond with leaves <laughs> all over it what what were you swimming it in? that's like an actual, a skanky that's an actual pool so it it's is a, a it's called barton springs it's mm-hmm. spring fed it but it is I've been calling it like a pool pond hybrid. So the sides are like a pool, but the bottom, which is what had caused me, I don't know, I just couldn't understand it before I got Mm -hmm. there. And while I was swimming, I thought, how am I going to describe this to Molly? So it's kind of like big shoals of rock Mm -hmm. that will kind of just jut out, but then there'll be a big drop off and you can't see the bottom, which Mm. of course I love. Was it a quarry? Did they No, it's part of a a river. Did they create it for a pool? No, it's a, I believe it's uh-huh. a net. I don't know. It can't be if it's got cement sides. Or maybe well, they it was, put those in, you know, okay. the same way they put those into the Willamette here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then, um, but there are large fish there that, oh, wow. that you can see and there's, you know, stuff growing on the bottom. There's a lot of algae growing on the bottom, uh-huh. but it's not gross. And, and the stuff, yes, there are leaves. And when I got there, I was like, oh, that's a big bummer that there are leaves. But I remind myself that it's organic material. Yes. You know, it's the same way when I eat vegetarian food. Uh If you bite into something, it's like a piece of wild rice that's kind of hard. Or maybe, Mm -hmm. I don't know, a a nut, a little piece of shell. But it is not a bone. So that that I don't get skanked out by it. So it's not, you know, it's not like pig innards floating on the pool. Yeah, it's not a rat's floating across the top or anything like that. A disembodied hand. (laughs) Is it, so it connects to the river? Is it like There's a dam at the end. Is it lanes? No, 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 it's definitely not. So so were you the only one swimming laps? No, oh, no, no, no. There are people, definitely people swimming laps. Are there people just like bathing and soaking? There are people also who do that. Yes, my friends who took me there, Uh 
like my friend's boyfriend took me there the second day because my friend was doing a photo shoot. She's a photographer. And so he said he goes every single day and all he does, he um, walks his dog. There's a nice path there. And then he puts the dog in the car and then he goes down and just changing rooms, changing rooms that are open air. You know, they, oh, they're okay. enclosed. So no one yeah, can see it was you. Austin. So it was warm, but the, ish. yes, ish. And so, but then in the women's locker room, at least there's tropical plants just growing in the middle, like a courtyard. Huh. And so it's very old timey, 1950s oh, kind so of wonderful. Oh, it's and idyllic. like, does it cost to get in? Oh, in the wintertime, it's free. And there and, aren't homeless people just and, hanging out. No. Mm. And then year round, before 8 a.m., uh-huh. it's always free. Wow. So this boyfriend gets up super early every day. He just doesn't, it's not a light sleeper. And every day goes down there and just soaks. It's year round. It's 71 degrees. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, the 71 water, degrees. 71? Yes. Water, okay. I thought it's going to be so cold. It's going yeah. to be so cold. Oh no, Molly. It's like the temperature of our pond in Oh, I'd say the second week of September. Oh, okay. I mean, so it, there was no up. shock factor. Yeah. No, none. I mean, you didn't have to pause and wait for your lady bits to get used to the cold <laughs> water. There was none say. of that. <laughs> there was none of that. Would you go in for the boobies? <laughs> no, none of that. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I mean, the first time I got out, I said to this one guy that I'd started talking to beforehand, I saw him again. I was like, oh, Tom, I wish the water was a little cooler. And mm-hmm. so, oh, it's just, and it's this wonderful it color. No, not at all. Not at all. Huh. It was overcast. I'm sure Texans you, you probably You can't get lousy. out into the river from it. It's Correct. enclosed? Correct. Okay. It is enclosed. Right. And so then also, but I mean, there are wild birds there. I mean, there were how, how snowy egrets. Um, well, it gets pretty shallow at one end. Uh-huh. So it's approximately, you could kind of swim about 250 yards before you have to turn around. Oh, that's pretty far. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, that's so bigger than a pool. <laughs> it is. So, I mean, uh, in the <laughs> I'm time... I'm so good on, like, things. Like, <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. might I say it's 10 <laughs> times as long. As... Thank you. That's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I mean, it went by in the blink of an eye. I swam 3,000 yards both days, which is a long way for me to swim. Uh-huh. I felt like I'd been in the water five minutes. Wow. I just thought, oh, I don't want to get out yet, but, you know, my friends are waiting for me. And, you know, you have to lift your head occasionally so you don't run into somebody. But you can also see them as they get closer to you so you can just kind of dodge them. Mm-hmm. But it, And it wasn't a lot of people, so it wasn't like being in a Tokyo subway or something. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and but I hear that it does get very crowded on full moons and everybody goes in and everybody howls at the moon. Okay. So, you know, hashtag keep Austin weird. And I'm sure they're naked, too. Oh, <laughs> I didn't get that detail. Well, we'll have to have somebody tweet me. If you have full me. moon and howling, you know, I would expect. <laughs> I mean, what, a, what do you need some swim trunks for? I don't I know. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, all right. That has nothing to do with our guest, who is a three-peat. It is Chris McDougall. the author. Yes, the author. Your good friend. <laughs> oh, I wish. Yes. I love Chris McDougall. Chris is the author of the now classic Born to Run, the book that spawned the barefoot running craze and the minimalist shoe craze. Chris first joined us nearly a decade ago to talk about that book. Then again, in 2019, Molly, when you bonded with him so well to talk about running with Sherman, the donkey with the heart of a hero. I'm sure there'll be jokes that harken back to that. So given how hard you and I laughed with Chris on that episode, you had to be, of course, the co-host choice to discuss Chris's latest book, Born to Run 2, The Ultimate Training Guide. His co-author on this one, Eric Orton, was the guest on AMR Trains this week, so be sure to take a listen in our feed to that episode after you listen to this one. Chris is a father runner with two daughters, and since he last joined us, he's moved to Hawaii. So aloha, Chris, and mahalo for being our guest again. Oh, aloha, Sarah. It is wonderful to be here. Um, mahalo nui to you, too. <laughs> <laughs> so so for those of us pushing through the literal dark and often cold and rainy and snowy days of December, tell us how life goes in Hawaii. Do you really want to hear? Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, make me <laughs> make me envious. Go ahead. <laughs> I always feel very guilty about it, too, because I haven't quite gotten over the fact, like, wow, this is actually happening. Like, <laughs> There aren't any people showing up in a truck to bundle me in the back and take me away. But uh, I would say literally five minutes ago, I ran out of the surf, scampered up the lane, jumped into the outdoor shower, toweled off, and then plopped into a seat. So that's how my morning's been going. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Well, Chris, it's great to have you back on the show. It's been a while. So how's your ass? Sherman. <laughs> and, and I did, was bracing myself. Yeah. I was bracing. 
Yeah, you know, my my I'll tell you, my ass has been uh, furry and frisky lately. I'm, thank you for asking. <laughs> did you did you lose your ass or did you take your ass with you to Hawaii? <laughs> I'm never too far from my ass. <laughs> uh, I actually we reparked my ass. Well, you know, it, it was a funny thing when we got this abrupt like COVID inspired notion of like, wait a minute, we are in the middle of like COVID denial country. Our our neighbors aren't um, distancing. They're not wearing masks. Uh, and most of them don't drive because they're Amish. Mm-hmm. And we thought, man, you know, things could really go south here. And we just suddenly got this impulse of like, let's move back to my, my wife's home state of Hawaii. Like, let's do it mm. now. Mm. Uh, but, it, but the difficulty would be, well, how do you close down a farm in no time at all? And mm-hmm. it turned out to be really easy. Um, our, our, our friend and farrier, uh, Leslie, Adopted all three donkeys at once, and they upgraded my my grass. My ass got an upgrade, so rather than living on our our little five acre uh, farm, uh, my ass got an upgrade to 150 acres with a heated stall. So I'll tell Ooh. you, man, my ass is my ass is doing better than ever. Oh, that's good. I bet you miss him. Yeah, you know it's weird, uh, particularly in the mornings uh, when I get up. That was always the thing. Like your first thing in the morning, you yeah. get up. And you tune your ear to what's going on outside. So you hear the roosters going, and you hear the the animals mm-hmm. making their noises. And then when everything's kind of cool and calm, you just hear their their happy noises. And you go out, and you feed them, and they're running around. That's been a transition. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a real rhythm to the day when you have have livestock. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. How about there? Are you going to have some livestock there? We are in a little. A tiny patch of a like a cottage, you know, like a little okay. traditional Hawaiian um, house, the like residential house. So uh-huh. we're mowing it. We could move to the Big Islands. We're on Oahu, and on the Big Islands, you can have farms out in the country. So we're mowing it, but mm-hmm. I don't know. On the other hand, it's also kind of nice <laughs> not feeding animals. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. My right? cat, my cat pooped on my bed. I'm like, no more cats. No more cats. <laughs> <Yeah>. This is <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is the one thing that is the one thing we did not get rid of. We uh we we got a um a rescue cat the second we got here. Mm-hmm. So we have repopulated at least with a cat. Well, good for you because Hawaii has a ton of, of cats that need to be adopted. I've worked with some groups that bring them over from Hawaii to Oregon to get adopted out. So that's great. That's what we're um, mm-hmm. sur- surprising our daughters with for uh, Christmas is another is another cat, another One- rescue cat. Wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. So, so Chris, where's your running at these days? It's been really kind of cool. It's been exploratory. Like, you know, whenever you're plunked into a new place, your first adventure is like, okay, now where am I going to run? And everything is new and you're sort of getting your patterns. But what's been an interesting new option for me is working uh, swimming into the mix. So I've created these like these little runs. I call them an Aquaman uh, mm-hmm. that uh, where I can run and then just like jump in the water and like swim for a while, then pop back the other side and keep on running and then pop back in again. So mm. I've been, Improvise my own swim runs. Do, do you know about those races they have in Sweden, the swim run races? Uh, I did not know that they were in Sweden, but I know that they certainly do them in up in, near Seattle. Dimity did, did, did one. one. Yeah, Dimity yeah. did one of those where, you know, kind of from island to island. She did one over in Maine. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to know more about this <laughs> because doing it in Maine, good gravy. I mean, it might as well just be in Sweden at that point. <laughs> it was the water. Well, I'm I'm fairly certain they wore wetsuits, and then, but I remember yeah. that there was a lot of kelp. Yeah, that she kind of <laughs> had to, you know, get get over literally and figuratively. So yeah, but they definitely have one up on the kind of near Orcas Island off of Seattle or Whitby, something like that. I'm yeah, very intrigued. There, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another book for you. <laughs> you know, it's it is interesting. Uh, swimming does. Well, I have a friend named Bonnie Tsui. Uh, yes, who, she's been on the podcast. Know, yeah. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. I, was just, I was about to say, if you haven't had her on, yeah. of course she has. Yeah. Isn't she fantastic? She is great. She is great. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost feel like that her writing almost doesn't do her justice because she's so vibrant that she's so fun mm-hmm. that it's hard to translate to that, that to the page. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I know it's funny. So she will not. Well, I mean, did she talk to you guys about running? Or, because she tells me she will not run at all. What, what, you know, what did she tell you guys? We talked only about swimming. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, if my if I'm in a burning building, 
I will walk out of the burning building. I will not. <laughs> I, will, I will not break pace. But she's a master swimmer, so I was like, man, it'd be really cool to do a swim run with you because mm. we are equally incompetent on either end. You know. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you know, one of the beautiful things about these contests is that it's a buddy system. You have to be yes. within whatever it is fifty feet of your partner at all times. Exactly. You can only be, you know, as fast as your slowest participant. Which I, which I kind of love. I, I think it's something that I really would like to see more of than running to that sense of solidarity and companionship and camaraderie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're doing those next year. We're doing a couple events where people kind of get paired up together. And so an experienced half marathoner gets a buddy of a novice or a returning to running half marathoner, and then they will go and do the uh, race together that Dimity's overseeing the program and everything. And she'll be at the race. So kind of, oh. kind of fun. Yeah. So, you know, and, and will they train together too, or just? Mm, I mean, I think that might be a little hard from a pairing standpoint. But they, if right. they are in the same place, they would. But otherwise, they would be right. maybe sending Marco Polos back and forth, or texting each other, or even <laughs> talking, you know, over AirPods while they're running, that sort of thing. So yeah, 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 yeah. So lots of ways to to pair up. Yeah, it's so much more rewarding if you just get out of your own head and your own pace for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm taking this conversation down weird <laughs> no, that's personal right. rabbit holes. That's all right. <laughs> well, uh, Chris, I love the book. I think your writing is great. I'm excited to see your swim run book when it comes out because I think <laughs> swimming is a whole other thing I'd love to see you delve into. And it sounds like you've got your first chapter. You got to get Bonnie to do this with you. And, you know, swimming is a solitary sport. And so that's interesting that you're already thinking about collaboration and, you know, enjoying the company of others. And I see that in your writing that you just celebrate the other and you celebrate all abilities and wherever people are in it and whatever they're experiencing. And one of the things I really loved was this Born to Run extravaganza that you talked about, the Cabo, right? Am I saying it right? Caballo Blanco? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Caballo yeah. Blanco. He started it, right? Or he helped get it going? Yeah. Well, what happened was he, he created the model because this is a new concept for me, the race he wanted to create down the Copper Canyon. So when we got down there, he explained, this isn't your typical race, you know, where you show up and you're in a corral and then you just race a bunch of strangers and then you have a bottle of water and go home. <laughs> he wanted this festival where the participants would actually spend time together for a couple of days before they actually ran. Uh-huh. That they would explore the course together and eat and drink and get to know each other. And then at that point, you really know your rival and then you go for it. Mm. And our our friend Luis Escobar, who took all those photos, great photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... He um, called me up about a year or so after, maybe actually before Born to Run was even published, but it was a year or so after we had the Copper Canyon race. And he said, hey, I, I want to do this thing. I'm going to call it the extravaganza. I want to recreate Caballo's race in California mm. because he had access to this like big sprawling ranch that a friend of his owned. And there's enough room for like a 10-mile loop. And he goes, I, I want to do it there. I'm like, man, go for it. You know, <laughs> he, he went to call it the Born to Run extravaganza. I'm like, yeah. You know, more power to you. Uh-huh. And and that's what he created. He, so he created what Caballo's model was, which was that people get together and camp out and have fun and train and get to know each other. But when it came down to race, just to go after each other's throats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That sounds awesome. And do you go on the regular? I've only been once. Mm. Uh, I only went once. He's done that for 13 years. Oh. And it's always like conflicted because it's always in May Mm. and May, you know, when you have kids in high school, it's terrible. You know, it's (laughs) it's graduation, it's proms, it's it's final games of, you know, seasons and things like that. So I only was able to break away because it's it's like a week long commitment. So I only went the once, but I am committed to a return, a return to glory this coming year. Nice. Well, there you go. Nice, nice. I love that you place your father duties before your born to run extravaganza duties. That's fabulous, Chris. Yeah, well, you know, it's you know, you, you see them walking out the door. It's like it's only a matter of minutes until they're off to college. Oh, so, yeah. Don't don't yeah. don't get me started. Yep, yep. Right, <laughs> I know, I know. They come back, then <laughs> <laughs> they go away again. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. So, given how much you popularized minimalist natural movement shoes, what's your current footwear of choice these days? Even less than usual. So <laughs> I, I mentioned this. It's kind of funny. So. I got turned on the zero shoes mm-hmm. relatively late in the game. I, I always resisted zero shoes uh, because 
they started off as a sandal company, like my friend Barefoot Ted. And I was always like, you know, ride and die with Barefoot Ted with his sandals. Yes. And then my friend and coach and co-writer on Born to Run 2 said, hey, man, uh, Zero Shoes is now doing running shoes, not not just sandals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we should check them out. I'm like, eh, all right. And so um, he actually got me a pair. He got me a pair of a shoe called the Zalen, which is a, a road shoe. And I was like, man, this thing is so comfortable. I started taking it on trails. And then I thought, let me, let me, see, let me see if I can break this thing down. So I used to, it was like running through creeks and up concrete embankments and over gravel. Uh-huh. And I'm like, man, I'm like, man, this is a this is a really good shoe. So I became a zero shoes kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started to do these swim runs out here, I was really pleased because the zero shoes are so minimal that I can actually plunge into the water, oh. and swim like a quarter mile, mm. and then pop back out and keep running in them. And then I realized, oh, actually, I, I don't even need those. I can just go barefoot. So yeah, so I've gone back here. I found that I am running more and more fully barefoot than I was back in Lancaster when I was running trails. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's a culture out there, yeah. isn't it? Not to wear shoes. It's a crazy thing to walk into a supermarket and feel overdressed because you have a shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> I love not wearing shoes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Barefoot, no shirt, people strolling in, grabbing uh, you know, food. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. great. What prompted you to write a follow-up to Born to Run? And, and why have a co-author? You don't need a co-author. You're great. <laughs> thank you. But I uh, thank you a lot for that. But I really did for this one. And not having a co-author is why... I never even thought to do this before because, you know, I get a lot, a lot of messages over the years of people asking me for training advice mm. or shoe advice, or all kinds of advice. And I, and I just always say, like, I'm not that guy, you know, you know, reborn and run. I'm the crappy guy at the back of the pack who's barely getting to the finish line. I'm not the guy to be telling anybody else what they should be doing with their training. But I'll tell you what the revelation was. When I got one of those messages recently, um, well, I guess it was a year ago now, and I was about to send a quick message back, hey, you should check out Eric Gordon. He really knows this stuff. And then I thought, wait a minute. You know what? It's actually been 15 years. And the thing that Eric had promised me back when I first met him in 2004, now I can say, oh, it actually worked. Because he never promised I was going to be very fast or qualify for Boston or anything. Uh, his goal was to make me as comfortable with running as I ever wanted to be so I could just walk out the door and just do whatever I felt like whenever I felt like it. So if I wanted to go out and do five, I could do five. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to do 10, I wasn't daunted by 10. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hey, man, it's been 15 years and the experiment that I really thought would end after a year or two. Maybe I'll huff my way through this ultra marathon, but at some point I'm going to get hurt again and and it's going to be over. And then I thought, hey, 15 years later, and I feel actually way better spring year and we're free now than I did when this whole thing started. Mm. So I called them up and said, hey, dude, I think it's time to actually reveal, you know, like share what you've done. Because, you know, the crash test monkey that you put in the spaceship <laughs> has now returned to Earth. And he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, the, but the fact of the matter was um, I am still looking through the window, uh, like the experiment. Eric knows this stuff. I don't know this stuff. And the real, I think the real benefit of the book was me asking him these questions, him explaining to me for the 15th time as I try to get it into print. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Hmm. Well, the training section in the back, I think, is really great. I thought the whole thing was good. I liked all the sections. It reads like your books where you just get the celebration of people. You're really good at distilling down their, their stories and then putting in these practical pieces of their stories that you can apply to your own running in your life. I'm not running now because I, I'm going to need a knee replacement, but I love the book and I took so much away from it just for well-being. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you know, I, I'm really intrigued. Can we circle back after your surgery? Because yes, we can, Chris. That was going to be <laughs> okay. one of my questions. What the heck am I going to do with this new knee? And how can I get back to running with my friend, Sarah? <laughs> oh, well, that's what's so cool about it. Because, you know, the thing about it, when we wrote this book was we thought we want something that's going to appeal to everybody. It's not going to be a marathon training book. It's not going to be a forget- for beginners book. And we thought, what's the cross section? Where's the nexus? where we have something that's relevant to every single runner. And we thought, you know what? There's always a point in every runner's journey where it's a really good idea to go back to the factory preset. So even if you're doing great team miles in, almost always there's a little bit of a, a wobble in your system. Something that's going to eventually lead to a problem. And it could be your diet. It could be your mentality where you're getting stale. 
Uh, it could be your fitness. It could be your running form, your choice of footwear, all those things. And we really designed this for that that 90-day run-free reboot is designed to take anybody. So, And, and we particularly had in mind um, women coming back from uh, childbirth. Mm-hmm. We thought, you know Hello. what? This is something, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that is an astronomical transition for runners because a, a lot of things are happening, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, logistically with your household. And so we actually wrote this book in mind of like, we want every person who's just had a baby to pick this book up, even though we don't say it mm-hmm. and think this is exactly what I was looking for. So after knee surgery, the 90 day reboot is perfect. And I would love to have the conversation with you because we designed it for someone who's coming back from something where they feel like they need to start over. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll continue our conversation with Chris after this brief break. Stay with us. All right. Well, Molly's mentioned a couple times about the people and the stories in the book. And, and so I'm not sure, Chris, if you had any input on the photo and illustration selection for the new book, but, <laughs> but, but, but I applaud whoever did is there's a welcome diversity, both in terms of including many runners of color as well as adaptive athletes. You know, I would like to see a few more diversity of body types, but I'll give you props for two out of three. So talk to us a bit about how you've seen diversity of the running world shift over the years since the original Born to Run was published. Oh, you know, thank you. That was, I'm about to say, number one priority. Mm. And maybe it was tie. Mm. But from the get-go, uh, our first goal was we wanted this book to be really vivid. Mm. And I wanted it to be full of photos. And I thought, man, I want to make sure we get everybody. And you're right. You know, I did not get as many diversity of body types as I would have liked. And that's that was on me because you start to lose sight of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you're trying to juggle mm-hmm. a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And we kept having this. It was kind of funny. So when Eric and I got this idea, it was September of last year. We thought, hey, we should do this training book. And it's like we say, hey, it's not a prequel. It's not a sequel. It's kind of an in-between quill. It's, it's <laughs> what I wish I would have known when I was actually – training for that first born to run race like the book that i wish i could have had myself mm-hmm. let's create that and how to dial in everything like you know your nutrition your footwear all that kind of stuff we got the idea in our very first conversation we're like hey dude we need to fill this with photos and we need to break through that barrier where it's not all blonde ponytails swinging on the cover mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. let, let's get as many people as we can and so in that very first conversation we're like okay we need an adaptive athlete with a prosthetic we need uh, gender binary we need people of color. We need this and this and this. And we're like, wait a minute, we don't, we don't know two-thirds of those people. <laughs> so uh, we called our friend Luis Escobar, who does the extravaganza, and he's like kind of sighed. He's like, all right, dude, leave it, leave it to me. <laughs> and in like, in like an hour, he called back. He's like, okay, I, I got everybody you need. And <laughs> he put together this that crew, the crew that you see on the cover. Mm-hmm. He assembled them. Again, it was like in, in 30 minutes. Like, wow. <laughs> so we, um, we went to Colton, California, and we spent a weekend together doing those photos. Mm-hmm. But then I came back and looked through them and I'm like, oh, you know what? We don't have enough Asian people. We don't have any Pacific Islanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we need to have more people who are uh, gender fluid. Mm-hmm. And so we did a second reshoot mm. and then a third where we started reaching out. So it was one of those things where we are trying to pack the suitcase with as many things as possible. But you're right. The, the one place I slipped was not getting enough people of uh, diverse body shapes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, again, I applaud you for it. And, and I love that that was one of the first things you were thinking with this book. Okay, let's dive back into the book a little bit more. Your training runs in, are in prescribed zones. So we definitely are big proponents of heart rate training around the Train Like a Mother Club. So how does that translate? How does do prescribed zones translate to heart rate training? You know, one real benefit of Eric and I working together is that he realizes that I'm his worst client. <laughs> Uh, I'm the most troublesome dude he has to work with. I have no attention span. I hate technology. Uh, I, I am a grumbler. I am a say no first 10 times before grudgingly say yes. Mm-hmm. And so he's learned over the years, like if he's going to give me an exercise to do, it's got to be kind of fun and not be too complicated or else I just won't do it. Mm-hmm. And on, on this book, it was the same thing. So we were looking at our fitness section, and he sent me over these 15 exercises. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, I would never do 15 exercises. You're going to boil this down to like two. And we, we settled on three. And, and there were three that were fun. Like, bouncing on one foot uh-huh. is 
a fantastically effective exercise for your foot core and for your overall balance and posture. But I like it. It's kind of like a cool challenge. Mm-hmm. And then with um, heart rate monitor training, you're right. It is absolutely critical. Yet I hate the heart rate monitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't. I can't figure it out. Like you can give me the simplest one. It only has one button, and I'm like, I, I don't get it. What am I supposed to push? How's the thing work? <laughs> I mean, do you, do you find that for oh, people? Do they struggle? I uh, I have to say, so so Dimity's the one who's in charge of all the training programs, and and she you know just would rave and and people rave about our heart rate training programs, and I'm just like, ugh. I don't want to wear a strap. I'm not going to be able to make it work. This is going, you know, it's going to slow me down because I'm, you know, it's going to eat up five minutes while I try to figure this all out. And Molly, this was back when she and I were running together. And Molly, you were like, oh, it's really easy here. I'll loan you a strap. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I am such a tech Luddite. And it was so much easier. And then I love training by heart rate. I mean, it just. So, so which one, um, which one do you use? It was a, I think it's a polar strap and it, but it would, um, it would attach to my, I mean, it would give feedback to my Coros Apex GPS. Oh, uh, okay. That is, that is a, as a whole wrist technology. I don't even know. So yeah. I, I wonder if the technology is now simplified to the point where a caveman like, like myself <laughs> can punch it. But I used to have like the polar ones and I'm like, damn it. You know, I'm like, I'm turning the watch on and I'm turning off the thing that I'm supposed to be turning on and then. <laughs> I'm always, as I'm running, like I'm petrified that the data that I'm supposed to be saving, I've, yeah. I'm not getting it. So mm-hmm. it became this whole preoccupation. I think I was jacking my heart rate in like zone four <laughs> just by being afraid <laughs> that I was messing stuff up. And so I, I, I completely, I could not agree with you more about the astonishing revelation you get from heart rate mm-hmm. training. Like you are never doing what you think you're doing mm-hmm. until you actually verify it. Yeah. But yet, and Eric and I have argued about this now for 15 years. Uh, I, I said, you're absolutely correct. However, I'm not going to do it. So where's, where's the middle ground? And so what we try to dial in, everything in this book, what we are hoping to accomplish is to show people how everything can be feeling-based. Mm. And that almost sounds like a cliche. You know, listen to your body. But we don't know what our body's saying. Mm-hmm. You know, that if you listen to your body, you would eat Haagen-Dazs. 24 7 you know because <laughs> what my body's telling me right now is man i need some i need some dual city leche cognizance. <laughs> so the, the problem is you know you have a body that was created in the stone age but a, a modern world is very different so with heart rate monitors what we wanted to do is get back to traditional systems that have been used by even like like the roman centurions to make things uh breathing responsive so you can tell if you're at a conversational pace mm-hmm. at a chanting pace or at a singing pace where exactly you are in your heart rates. And so when you, when you see military platoons mm-hmm. uh, doing like steady chants, that's one pace. When they're doing call and response, that's another pace. Mm. And then when they're doing nothing but just gasping for glory, that's another pace entirely. So we try to dial in a, a rough estimate of zone heart rate zone training based on how your body actually feels in terms of breathing, whether you can actually talk mm-hmm. or sing or chant or, or none of the above. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to go. When I do heart rate, sometimes I feel like I'm I, I'm working too hard at the heart rate. I'm like, this is really hard. And I don't think it should be hard. And again, I'm like with you at the monitor. I'm like, this is a stupid thing isn't working. <laughs> My heart rate is going to be higher than this because I'm like having a hard time breathing and stuff. I'm like, this shouldn't be the zone I'm in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is tricky but again i think the thing about it, it it is it is that pull and tug because people who are knowledgeable and competition based the technology is going to give them a wealth of information that is extraordinarily yeah. useful and it's actually going to ex- ex- extend their running life right. it's going to keep them out of trouble but i feel like you know what why set up a system that is doomed for failure because again if someone tells me the heart rate monitor if someone gives me a strict diet I will absolutely believe it's correct, and I will know for a fact that in two weeks I'm going to, I'm going to abandon it. I'm just not going to do it. You know? <laughs> but if you give me something that feels good and has guardrails that I can respect and uh, stay within mm-hmm. realistically, then I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. So, that's, so that's where we are with the uh, our, what we call focus is understanding your heart rate zones based on a rough estimate which is something that people are more likely to do rather than just getting annoyed with their heart rate monitor and pretending they forgot it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, I think the book just makes things easy. You know, like you, you said, it should be easy. It should be fun. So you, you mentioned diet. I'm doing the two week test that's in your, um, oh. I know mm-hmm. I had the coffee yeah. with the egg and the coconut oil and the cream this morning. I had it for, I've had it All every right. day and I love it. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Had you been aware of the two-week test before? No, not until your book. So here's the thing. So I, I'm i a menopausal woman. I haven't been able to do any like cardio particularly for last year because of my knee. I get on the bike a little bit, but even that's hard. And I've been having terrible heartburn at night. And I've been trying to figure out what to do with my heartburn. Well, I try to digest events. I mean, I was reading your book and I was it was talking about the carbohydrate intolerance. I'm like, you know what? I think that's what I have. And so I looked at the two-week test, which is low carb. I'm like, you know, what do I have to lose? So I've, I'm on day nine and the heartburn went away immediately. Wow. I, yeah, immediately. The first three days, I didn't feel great. I had a headache like day four or five. The headache's gone away. My energy is better. I'm not as hungry. I've lost a little over three pounds in nine days. The, the cooking is easy. My husband loves it because he just adds rice to whatever I make. I'm eating, <laughs> I'm eating so much fat. But I feel so good. My inflammation has gone down a little bit. My other knee was, it still bothers me. But I just feel like overall just better. Molly, I'm so happy to hear that because yeah. it's, one of these, it's one of these things where I would have echoed exactly what you said. If someone asked me the two-week test, I would have said exactly what you said. And yet we're so enthusiastic and the, the response that we're getting is so great that if I were on the other side, I'm like, I don't believe it. There's no way. <laughs> but well, here's what I love about the things like the two-week test is that they are all like personal diagnostic tools. You know, mm-hmm. this is not saying, hey, do not eat this for the rest of your life. Right. But now you've experimented with the carbohydrate. And after the two-week test, you know, have a half a bagel. If your heartburn comes back, then you realize, oh, okay, that's the cause and effect right there. You may find that you can eat a half a bagel, but not a whole bagel. Like your tolerance for certain glycemic foods You'll be able to dial it in perfectly. Like I know for a fact, you know, from Philadelphia, we have a, a convenience store we love called Wawa. And oh, yeah. Wawa's got a, cla- a classic hoagie. And it's like a, a, a nine-inch hoagie that I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I find if I eat the whole thing, I feel the same way. It's too much. But if I eat the shorty, which is about <laughs> a four and a half inch, I'm good. And I've realized, huh, I, that's, my, that's my carbohydrate tolerance. I can tolerate the Wawa shorty hoagie, not the classic. And, and Molly, so I think... It, I'm so happy to hear that you're getting exactly the, the results that not me, but Phil Moffatone, who came up with the two-week test was, he's like, dude, I don't want to argue with people about mm-hmm. keto versus this versus that. I just want people to understand the effect that the food is having on their body. And after that, they can make informed choices. Which I love about it. And it's not a diet. The, uh, you know, do you find that you still eat a lot of fat now that you're eating the carbohydrates or have you backed off the fat? No, um, I, I find fat is my go-to and it's my sort of rock. Mm-hmm. That's what I, what I try to build my meal around, actually. I mean, here in, in Hawaii, there's a ton of fatty tuna. Mm-hmm. So that's become like my staple for back in Pennsylvania, uh, be a piece of meat or a chunk of salmon. But what I try to do is have like the hitching post and then move off from there. So if I know when I have a chunk of salmon, then I'll throw a bunch of tomatoes on top of that, some lettuce on top of that. Yeah. Where's your question coming from? Well, because I feel so much better having the fat. Like, I'm not as hungry. I, you know, like my lunch is not till one o'clock and I would be so hungry when I got to lunchtime. Now I'm like, oh, it's it's lunchtime. I'm ready to eat. I just feel like I've got more energy through the day. I'm not getting the lightheadedness. And I'm a little bit scared that I'm going to add in the carbohydrate. And as soon as I add in the carbohydrate, all the weight's going to come on. Like it's going to just trigger the fat to go into my cells. Cause like I said, I've, I need to lose some weight and I'm enjoying losing weight and I've never, never felt this good losing weight. So I'm just a little scared about adding the carbohydrate in and still having the fat. You know, I, the thing that I found to be the problem was that once you start to reintroduce the carbs, mm-hmm. because they're so available and they're such easy eating, I think one thing we, we forget about processed foods is they're designed to go down smooth. So, you know, you know, think about all the processed carbs, they're very soft and, and appealing and kind of sweet. So once you start to stray back in that direction, that's the real danger. Uh, the danger isn't so much you're going to continue with the fact that danger is, oh, you eat half a bagel, maybe a whole bagel, mm-hmm. a donut. It's really easy to backslide. Hey, if I can ask you, so like, what's your sort of projected lunch? I'm kind of curious, like what's a go-to meal for you now? 
Well, uh, last night I uh, made a salad with shrimp and avocado and goat cheese, and I made a dressing out of cilantro, uh, garlic, and olive oil. So I'm going to have, I'm having a lot of leftovers. So I'm going to have that for lunch. This morning I had a leftover pork chop with a cream sauce that I'd made for breakfast after I, after I downed my four cups of coffee with a quarter cup of cream and an egg yolk. I mean, I'm feeling great. I, I, get, wow. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, oh, I get to go have that coffee now. <laughs> wow. I, I will tell you who our first phone call is going to be. There's a border on three, man. For, I'll be going to you for the, the recipes. Wow. That, looks, that, that dinner sounds amazing. The salad with the shrimp and the goat cheese and the cilantro dressing. <laughs> Holy cow. At work, they're like, dang, your lunches look so good. I'm like, mm-hmm, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I, I would not be concerned. I mean, I think there's a, that major misconception that, you know, fat on your plate leads to fat on your body. And it's really the opposite, that it's the carbohydrate, which is the quick storage fat thing that, you know, once your body has access to a bagel, it's going to convert that to fat and, 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 and store it away. But if you provide it that digestible fat, uh, it will use that as its primary source of fuel. It, it won't store it. It will actually use it as you know to, to fuel the engine. Mm-hmm. What's your go-to breakfast? Oh, you know, I still love is <laughs> it grosses everybody in the family out. But uh, I'm not even sure how I started doing it. I love those tins of like Goya chopped octopus. Oh, you should say that it's in like, the book. That does sound disgusting. But now I got to try it. <laughs> what do you What do you eat it with? I am. I turn it into an omelet like, oh, okay. without exception. Always a big chop. It's a weird thing. So it's, it's a three egg omelet with some of the uh, the chopped um, octopus. You can either get it in its own ink or in a spicy red sauce. And so I'll heat that up in the pan, and then I'll put it in the corner, and then I'll throw in the egg mix, and then I'll flip the octopus into the middle of the egg mix, and then flip it over, and then put a big smear of sour cream on top, and then a smear of hot sauce on top of that. And either it's actually good for me or my entire digestive system is saying, you know what? We won't make you feel hungry if you promise to not eat any more of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. That's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, Molly, I would love to get your feedback because I, I don't know if I've stumbled across like a gourmet delight or just something really bizarre about my mouth. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll look for the do we, Goya octopus. Do we think that that's available to buy on I don't the know, mainland? But I, I'm heading to the grocery store after this, oh, so yeah. I'll check yeah, it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in my Peach Bottom, Pennsylvania grocery store, if you go in, into the you know the Spanish or uh, Latino food aisle, okay. uh, all those Goya stuff, there's all kinds of like treasures to be found in, in that aisle uh, from Goya stuff. Oh, my gosh. I'll take, I'll take a look, Chris. I'll try anything once. <laughs> Canned <laughs> octopus. That's a first for our podcast. <laughs> I, I have no idea how in the heck I ever thought right. to try that. Right. It was just, it like reached yeah. out its tentacles. Take me, Chris. Eat, <laughs> eat me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a very what was that the little house of sh- little shop of horror yeah, moment? Exactly, Audrey, <laughs> right. Audrey too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. You need to do a documentary. You know, my friend the octopus. <laughs> very different on my yes. <laughs> on my plate. Yes. She was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! All right. Well, Molly and yours report is not disappointing. So thank you. Um, yeah. um, so so I was fascinated by what you wrote about muscle memory and that it's it being a real thing it was it was basically a page in the book could you could you talk a bit about that for i'm also on the injured reserve list and i have been for quite a while because of some bulging discs so it it heartened me to think that my leg muscles might know what to do once i resume running well you know it's it's a fascinating thing i think where i get interested in an exercise innovation is when it's not an innovation at all Mm. that you know, for instance, you know, you look at cold plunges uh, and Wim Hof and cold plunges, mm-hmm. and there's there's all kinds of sort of raving, you know, ecstasy about what these things do. But you look back through the ages, well, people have been doing cold plunges forever. Mm-hmm. You know, this dates back to you know the ancient Romans were doing cold plunges. Or you look at hot baths, uh, uh, hot saunas, mm-hmm. that kind of heat treatment. There's a long pedigree, uh, even heart rate training. You know, the fact is that you go back to the Roman centurions, that's exactly how they monitor pace by that kind of roughed out heart rate monitor mm. training. And so with muscle memory, it's the same thing. We, we have this phrase we throw around, but it turns out it's actually rooted in something. And, and there's another phrase people use called greasing the groove. Mm. And it's kind of a funny thing. Like you might notice it 
if you haven't run in a couple of weeks, that first run is horrible. Like, oh my God, mm-hmm. like, why did I ever think this was going to be a good idea? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then the very next day, you do the exact same run and it feels fantastic. And you're like, wait, I didn't get in better shape in 24 hours. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? But, but I think what happens is that it is triggering a molecular response in your body. And a lot of times, our body's first response is to resist the movement because your amygdala is saying, wait a minute, we're not quite sure what's going on here. This could be dangerous. Maybe we're using too much energy. And so your amygdala is that protective parent telling your body, let's just take away. It's wait a moment. <laughs> um, but the second time around, once your body has now survived and done that activity, then your molecules are just signed on. Yeah. But they've done studies where they would take you know cyclists, guy, people who had a deep store of training, but then laid off for like four years. And then they would put them in a training program with beginners. And so essentially you had the experienced cyclists, but who have not trained for four or five years. So they should be completely out of shape. And the beginners who are starting from zero, and then they'll put them in the same training program. And the experienced cyclists would suddenly skyrocket Mm. past the beginners. And not because of skill, but physically their bodies were tapping into something that was stored. It was some kind of stored Mm -hmm. reserve of actual just raw fitness. Mm -hmm. So that's a very gratifying thing to realize is that the work we're doing, even after a layoff, is still there. It, there's still a, a bank account that we can draw on when we're ready to get back into it. Mm-hmm. That's that's encouraging. It sure is. Yeah, oh my gosh! Everybody. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. put that put that little snippet into a bottle and open it up when yeah. I get to start running again. Um, but you know, it's, you know, I found it really interesting to me and. I, I sort of question myself too. It's almost like I had to sort of come out of the closet about this because I, I, I lost any interest in competition a few years ago. Like races just meant nothing to me mm-hmm. and times and all that kind of stuff just meant zero. And you almost don't want to admit that because it almost feels like mm-hmm. you're discrediting yourself. Mm-hmm. If like, oh, I really don't care if I ever run a marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized what had happened was I became so much more interested in form and and really getting good at like running form. And I think maybe that's something that a lot of runners are missing. We get so focused on how far, how fast, how much, how many days per week, how much, how much, how much. And we forget how well. Mm. And I think for for both of you, if if you're going to be coming back after um, an extended layoff, if you make form your focus just the way you would if you're learning an instrument, like you're not trying to bang the guitar as fast as you can. <laughs> you're actually learning how to pluck a chord so it sounds good and it feels good. And so maybe for runners, if they started their journey by trying to get the running form to feel really good and smooth mm-hmm. like, like you would if you're hitting a tennis ball, you know, maybe that's the thing that can really excite people and get them, get them motivated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your whole philosophy is about just feeling good. You know, everything in the book, does it feel good? Does it feel good? Does it feel better? I love that. Yeah, it's funny. I I almost kind of wish Dimity was in this conversation, too, because I I wonder if when you're working with runners who are looking for a goal, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people get into running basically for one of two reasons, either because of their relationship with food Mm -hmm. or they suddenly are inspired for a goal, like they want to run a marathon or a half marathon in a year. Mm -hmm which is fantastic. You know, it, it, both of those goals, are fantastic goals. But the problem is, I think too often it can lead us on a, a downward spiral mm-hmm. where, hey, I'm focused on this marathon that's come up in seven months. Mm-hmm. I got to put in my miles, even if I'm feeling a little sore. Mm-hmm. And if you feel a little sore, well, that next run, you, you're going to kind of dread it a little bit and it's not going to feel as good. And so you're left with kind of a negative response to it. And then you're going to dread the next one. And then the, the soreness is going to increase. And so our, our relationship to running sort of goes downhill a little bit as opposed to something where you finish the run and you feel fantastic. Like mm-hmm. I can't wait till tomorrow. And then the next day, because you're looking forward to it, that run feels better. And you actually run a little bit further and then you can't wait for the next one. So it, it becomes an upward spiral as opposed to a downward one. And, and that's the thing we're hoping to reverse is take that downward spiral and turn it around the other way. I tell myself that when I'm swimming, that even though I don't want to get out of the pool or, 
Barton Springs pool where I was this weekend, I say, leave while you're having a good time. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's a really good. So how did you come across that? Um, it's my philosophy with parties too. Um, <laughs> 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 and then I do the Irish goodbye. I just fade into the hedge like Homer Simpson. Uh, yet, um, I just always leave wanting a little bit more. I'm actually playing with like book titles. Like it's not quite right, but it's like train like a drunk, something like that. <laughs> Where you always want a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you, you left when you were still having fun. Yeah. yeah. Not, not that you puked. <laughs> you puked and blacked right, out right, right. and made an ass of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's all back yeah. to the asses. Yeah, back to the ass. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, Chris, we could just talk to you all day, Molly in particular. So uh, uh, oh, I so enjoyed this, Chris. And I, I do hope we get to talk again. And I do hope you do a swimming book. I would love to read about cold water. I can see you doing it. I can see you doing the swim. Get Bonnie is that her Bonnie. Name, involved with you. Anyway, I just love your stuff. I think everybody should read this book. I want to buy it for everybody. You're great. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I love this. And Molly, for real, let's talk. You know, at some point I'll connect you with Eric and uh he would love more than anything to guide you through this uh this post operative situation. Um <laughs> and I think it'd be super useful. But anyway, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to have the conversation with you down the line. Oh, that'd awesome. be great. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much and good luck with your book. Get it in time for the holidays, folks. It's just out. All right. Thanks, Chris. Great. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Bye. Aloha. Oh, I just the I just want to sit back and listen to the two of you talk, Molly. I just <laughs> He's great. He's fabulous. So fabulous. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, big announcement around these parts is Many Happy Miles is open for 2023, celebrating its fifth year anniversary. This annual membership program focuses on consistency and community with 365 days of fresh workouts, as well as monthly strength training circuits, live strength and yoga classes, and guest experts. This year, we're adding monthly community check-ins and making the workouts more inclusive. Cardio workouts will include cross-training and walking variations. Join us for your best year yet at anothermotherrunner.com slash many happy miles. Again, to find out all the info about many happy miles, our 365-day annual membership program, and to register, go to anothermotherrunner.com slash many happy miles. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. Can you like yeah, yeah, yeah. veterinarian move the cat? Oh no, here we go. <laughs> All right. There we go.